to the Bread to Build podcast, a project dedicated to sharing the stories of the people who build and those who help move construction forward. If you're new here, welcome. If you're a returning listener, thank you for showing up again. We appreciate all of these shout outs on social media. My name is Brett Gillen. I'm the founder of Hammer and Builders of Insta. And today I'm joined by my co-host, Matt Panella. Welcome back, everyone. We have a pretty cool topic to go over today. My name is Matt Panella, better known as Matt Bingswood, carpenter and content creator based out of California. Today, we're going to be jumping in with John Burns to unpack everything from recession, supply chain, everybody's favorite right now, and the, uh, the trends he's seeing across the U.S. John, welcome to the Bread to Build podcast. Uh, my pleasure, man. This is going to be fun to figure this all out together. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there's a lot to unpack today. Yep. I'm taking notes. Yeah. yeah, same here. John, before we jump in, could you just give people a little bit of insight to who you are um, and what you and your firm do? Yeah, so it's uh, John Burns Real Estate Consulting. We try to figure out what's going on in the housing market for every executive in the housing industry. I started it 21 years ago, very focused on the home builders. We've expanded into building products and resale and mortgage and all the disruptors. And uh, for prior 10 years, I'd been uh, doing real estate consulting and, and really learned a lot from the commercial real estate world, which was mm -hmm. more sophisticated and tried to bring it to residential. Awesome. I love that concise introduction. John, I'm going to start off with a heavy hitting question. We can go down a rabbit hole. And I think this is just a really good question to set the tone, but uh, we're in a recession. What's different this time around? Okay. Um, <laughs> okay. You know, it's going to be good. <laughs> well, I'm not hundred percent sure we're in a recession, but uh, we forecast we were going to be in one back in February and people were like, no, come on. In fact, we had a big debate on it in May at our conference with a with a raging bull, and now he's in the recession camp. So, mm. um, you know, the recession thing. Let me just address that first. So, recession technically means that the economy, the spending, is not growing faster than inflation. So, spending would have to be growing faster than nine percent for us to be in a in, mm. not in a recession. And, and so, you're right, we're in a recession. But what I think we all need to care about is whether or not there's more people uh, employed or unemployed. So that's that's how I talk about recessions because that's really what we care about for housing demand. That's an adult mm -hmm. with an income who can get a remodel done. Yeah, you warned me we were going to go down this rabbit hole a little bit here. So uh, I, I brought some stuff from the webinar we just finished. We do a we do a monthly webinar on the third Thursday of every month where we try to pull together all the noise for our mm -hmm. clients. There's a lot different this time. Do you want to go down that rabbit hole yet? Or you just want to? I, I would absolutely love to go down that because I think okay. it's on everybody's mind today. Yeah, because this is what we get hit with. Well, have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? And we've got uh, like something like 8,000 clients are, that, that are asking us these questions. Um, mm -hmm. so, so I bucketed them a little bit. So there's, there's uh, well, there's a total of 30 of them, but 13% of them are bullish. So I hear that from the bulls and 17% are bearish. Mm -hmm. uh, I'll say five are permanently new. So I think these are game changers and I'm acknowledging them. So we have uh, a ton of institutional and retail money organized and ready to buy homes for yield and an inflation hedge. If we had that mm -hmm. in 2010, there's no way prices would have fallen that much because they would have been gobbling up the homes. Those businesses mm -hmm. started in 2012. So that, that's new, you gotta put that into the equation. 
We have the lowest resale home listings ever. And I think technology has enabled that. And I don't think that gets enough attention. You know, I used to, I sold my house 20 years ago. It was put it on the market, get an open house, wait three weeks. Now you can get seven offers in an afternoon, right? Yeah. Um, so some of that is technology. And so I acknowledge we have the lowest resale home listings ever, but I think it's a bit overplayed that um, we're going to be fine because we don't have a ton of listings. Uh, I agree with that statement, but they don't have to go back up to six months in order for us to have a down market. I think we can have a down market sooner than that. So that's number mm -hmm. two. Uh, mortgages. Yes, Dodd-Frank mm -hmm. straightened out the mortgage industry. There's very few crappy mortgages out there. That's permanently new. All, all these are positive. I know it's gotten a lot of air time, but it has not been really related as much to housing as it should. Is this whole work from home phenomenon? We're all sitting in our house right now talking. Yeah. That was not available before because you can have this great technology with high-speed Wi-Fi and everything. That's been an affordability solution people are not talking about. People can move when it gets ridiculously affordable. They can go five miles further from work and afford. They, mm -hmm. I mean, I've had my employees moving all over the country, and you know, I don't even doesn't bother me at all. Um, so that's permanent. So those are four bullish things. The one that's permanently new that's bearish is this whole $30 trillion in government debt. And uh, that has completely boxed the Fed in. They can't raise rates for well, short-term rates for a very long time because the government has to refinance. It just throws the government fiscal deficit under the bus. Um, so those are five things that I'll, I'll put in the equation that are new. There's 14 that are super unique. And people go, you, you were talking earlier people that have been through recession in 2008. Well, there's been a lot more recessions than in 2008. There's some things that are very different this time. So the, the home builders have never been this well capitalized. Mm. Uh, and they can drop prices this afternoon, which by the way, they are doing, and have no fear that they're going to bust bond covenants or go out of business or anything like that because they've got virtually no debt due in the next five years and a ton of equity. That can drive prices down when you have somebody with that many empty homes doing that. The surge in household formations we saw the last two years was completely COVID driven and work from home driven. That's not permanent. If we laid off 4 million people this afternoon, there's 11 million job openings in the country right now. The prior peak pre-COVID was 7 million. So there, mm -hmm. there's a ton of companies still looking for work right now. Um, so all these negative news about layoffs, particularly in the um, disruptive unicorn sector, yeah, um, they... all, the, all those people get get a job like that right now. Yep. I, I, two years from now, that may be different. I'll skip over the student relief. That's not that big a deal. I to I don't think overall to the students it is the debt relief. This build for rent is a new product type mm. that ties into that single family rental. I think that is a stabilizer for the industry. All these homes that were going to get built for sale, those builders are now going to consider, well, can we capitalize this differently and rent this out and maybe get through the downturn and sell it later? Mm -hmm. uh, there's a ton of capital available to do that. That was not around before. I told you we were going to go down a rabbit hole here. So That's okay. There's a ton uh, of like information. <laughs> uh, so this is the, the 14 unique conditions that uh, tremendous amount of capital raised to invest in income properties, just unbelievable. And we were talking about this at our conference in 2019, where we had Bruce Flatt, the CEO of Brookfield, like a $500 billion company, one of the most, the guy who raises the most money out there saying everything that generates cash is going to go up in business. 
because he could see that and go up in value because he could see that in his business. Mm-hmm. That was in 2019 it when we weren't on. worried about inflation. Then you throw, well, anything that generates cash flow is an inflation hedge, particularly if wages are growing and you can raise rents. That is like quadrupled the amount of money coming into rental real estate. You know, that some of that money needs to borrow in order to invest and some of it doesn't. So I think some of it's going to disappear because the borrowing costs have gone up. But anyway, so th- those are of the 14 unique conditions. I'd say those are the six positives. Now mm-hmm. I've got eight negatives to throw at you. What would be the top three negatives, John? Probably the Fed's announcement that they're going to reduce their mortgage portfolio if they actually have the guts to do it. There's The Fed owns 24% of all the mortgages in the country. There's no way they, I mean, that, that is the rates. I know you're complaining they're high. Rates mm-hmm. are artificially low because the Fed has been buying mortgages mm. uh, and um, they're controlling the long end of the curve. So that would be one. Probably the other one would be uh, the record number of new homes under construction that um, are going to hit later on this year. A lot of them are not sold because the builders have been intentionally not offering them for sale. They've been waiting to get the drywall to sell them. And then the other one that nobody's talking about um, is this retail and office distress that hasn't happened yet, where all this money I was just talking to you about, could it's real estate focused money. It could easily move over there if things are for sale at 60 cents on the dollar. So I won't go down the rest of the rabbit hole for you, but it's um, there's a lot. John, if someone was listening to this episode right now and they wanted a 30,000 foot overview of the market temperature, I mean, you guys bring in a ton of data across the United States. How's the housing and construction market doing across the board? If you were to summarize it in a sentence or two. I mean, it's, it's tipping over and uh, you know, you, this is normally the time when it starts to tip a little bit anyway, seasonally, because we just got through the spring selling season. But now we just got through a spring selling season where mortgage rates went from three to five and a half. So mm-hmm. um, it's uh, it's holding up because demand was here and supply was here, but they're coming here. And in a lot of submarkets, supply is going to exceed demand. And that's, that's when you're going to have issues. Mm-hmm. And what are you hearing directly from builders and remodelers across the board? What are they saying about the housing market conditions? I mean, the home, home builders are being, they're prepared for this. In fact, the last mm-hmm. two years, they've been saying, this is crazy. This is not going to last. And yeah. here we are. Uh, but they didn't think you, they'd see five and a half percent mortgage rates on top of that. So they're, uh, they're ready to drop price. And that's what they're doing right now. And um, they're probably going to get mad at me for saying that because there's probably some home buyers on the line that are going to go negotiate with them. Um, but they're, and they're prepared for this. I said, they've got great balance sheets. The, the remodelers are telling us that, um, you know, the, we actually do a, a huge, re, like four different remodeling surveys um, that any of your listeners can participate in and, and get some of this content. You know, they're still doing fine. I think the, the, the orders and the phones not ringing as much as it was a year ago. Mm-hmm. And um, they're starting to learn that they don't have to order the materials as far in advance now as they did six or seven months ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think they're, they're going to lag here a little bit because it's going to happen in the for sale market too. Um, but, the, you know, they should be in pretty good shape. And they, they've got a lot of great tailwinds. We are, our remodeling forecast is super bullish. We're pulling it down mm-hmm. a little bit because we're forecasting a recession. But if we come out of this thing with everybody's got a 5% plus mortgage, if they want to buy a new house, 
and all the existing homeowners are sitting on three, we're going to have a remodeling boom for mm -hmm. decades. <laughs> so we'll, we'll see the we'll see the new construction slow down and that remodeling take over. Well, I think, well, yes, but I think it's more like how many people are going to give up their 3% mortgage to go get a nicer house at five mm -hmm. and a half versus uh, tap into some of their equity and just remodel where they are because it's such a better financial decision. Make improvements. That makes sense. Right. Out, out of curiosity, um, do you have any opinions about the market that most people either haven't thought about or simply disagree with you on at the moment? Oh, yeah. I've been um, I've been a super bear on Austin, Texas for mm. 18 months and had a lot of egg on my face. And mm -hmm. I it, but I was not being a short term bear. I was just like, this is different. So you're relying on rich people moving from the coast to Austin, which they're doing as your primary buyer and even renter. And unlike the rest of the country, Austin is building 50% more homes than ever before. So mm -hmm. the, the rest of the country has a lack of supply issue. Austin does not. And I still think Austin's a great market, uh, but it's gotten super expensive too because so many people moved in and the supply couldn't keep up with it. Yep. I, I think I think that's that's the market. We're still right now, it's still holding up, but I think that's going to change and it, and it has the opportunity to change really hard. Do you think the opportunity is going to be that it's, or not the opportunity, the downside would be like it becoming oversupplied in the Texas market? I would say the odds of that are somewhere between 90 and a hundred percent. So yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I mean, Austin's insane. I, I have some friends that moved to Austin and I would say, I mean, what they were telling me is some of their rents jumped right. it almost like double in the last two to three years, which is and, insane. And, and, so, and so have home prices. And the difference there yeah. is you're going to get like 25,000 brand new homes with nobody in them come to the market and they're going to need to get sold. And mm -hmm. it's never seen anything like that before. Mm -hmm. So you don't suspect it's going to be a soft landing there. It's going to be, it's going to be hard. Well, I think it'll be harder there than everywhere else, unless really the, just everybody continues to, all the jobs continue to leave California and go to Austin too. That, that has mm -hmm. been their saving grace so thus far. Yeah. We'll see. So let's unpack supply and demand a bit when it comes to these projects. We'll start with remodeling. Um, during COVID, people were and still are staying home and that stimulus wave drove a lot of remodeling activity. Um, we've kind of touched on it a bit. What's demand currently look like for remodeling and is there any big changes? Uh, well, we, we, we're forecasting a 4% remodeling growth this year. And actually, the, or the survey we just completed are the, something like 400 remodelers, or who knows more than that, um, forecast 4% too. So I think we're going to see 4% remodeling growth. Um, the big shift has been from DIY to pro. Mm. So if you, you know, Home Depot is already reporting, reporting some pretty small growth because they're the big DIY center, mm -hmm. all the all the pro-based um, distributors and lumber yards and everything is, is booming. The difference there now is they've got material. So they're starting to get fully stocked up. And uh, I actually think this is going to play into the recession here, is that everybody in the supply chain has been ordering and ordering and ordering because they were sick of being short product. And now they're going to have mm -hmm. everything they need and they're just going to stop ordering. And then, then you're going to see, whoa, wait a minute, we don't need to manufacture as much and we might even see layoffs in the manufacturing section just because it we grew too fast and it you know, too much. I've been kind of curious as to what this is going to do for the smaller 
um, family-owned lumberyards because like you're, like you're saying, um, I work with a few of them and they've, they've been over-ordering like crazy. And unfortunately, I think what's going to happen, and I've kind of seen it already, is they're over-ordering at a higher price. Prices may drop, but they're not turning as much and they're forced to sell that higher price material at a lower price, thus making a loss. Uh, you just said it better than I could. So that um, that that's the issue. And if they've got a lot of debt, that's going to be a problem. If they've got yeah. a lot of cash in the bank, they're going to be fine. You know, there's a lot of companies that are trying to roll up all these lumber yards too, so they can always mm -hmm. sell out right now if they wanted to at a pretty good price. John, I, I came across some interesting stats that I wanted to have you unpack for us, but uh, I, I was looking at some of the models that you were posting through LinkedIn and um, one of them was uh, typical remodeling projects, changing size and scope. Um, almost 60% of remodels are seeing an increased size and scope and budget. Obviously, we're kind of uh, alluding to the, the new construction. More people want equity and want to remodel. Um, I guess at like face value, you would see like the impending recession, whether it's here or coming uh, very soon, that people would be kind of like drawing back and not wanting to put out those dollars to increase the size and scope. Can you just talk a little bit more and like unpack probably why you're seeing outside of just the equity in the home, why people are probably increasing size and overall scope in their projects? Is it just to get ahead on home equity? No, um, we've got 10 people that focus on this more than, more than I do. But I, I think if I had to generalize it, it's just that everybody's made so much money on their house and maybe on the stock market, although that's changing a little bit, that they're, if they're just going to do a remodel, we're going to do a great one. Mm -hmm. And um, that's what they're doing. We, we've also seen, and, and COVID's probably related to this, people have been spending more time in the yard, uh, mm. that, the, the back, that the remodel is extending to the yard now. We're seeing a lot of kitchens in the yard and a lot, a lot of like yard redos that probably weren't being done before. Mm-hmm. We've kind of noticed that a bit too. There's been a, there, there's still a lot of remodeling going on, but now it's going out to the backyard. It's backyard makeovers. It's these insane pergolas. It's outdoor kitchens. And they're, they're spending a lot more money on that, that leisurely activity being out back and cooking. Um, I've, I've noticed that around here. I'm on the, the coast of California, so it's a bit more common, but it's, there's definitely been an uptick there. Yep. We're seeing the same thing. Do you think we were talking a little bit about new construction? Do you think for new construction, the biggest threat to that is just the rising mortgage rates? Is that the biggest threat to new construction? Um, no, I think the, the and actually we've studied this. I think um, eight times, I guess this would be the ninth in the last 40 years, mortgage rates have risen 100 basis points or more, and there's not been a recession. Mm -hmm. And sales never fell more than 10%. It's when there's a recession that's what everybody's afraid of. And every, pretty much every home builder CEO I know will tell you the exact same thing. I, I can handle rising rates. I cannot handle a recession. And so, um, you know, the market is held up okay right now. It's starting to get a little bit soft. And maybe, maybe it is because we're in a recession like you, you teed off this podcast with. That's what they're afraid of. Mm -hmm. One thing that I'd like to get a little bit more clarity on, maybe this is less so for remodeling, as you mentioned, but, uh, you know, I was doing some studying and you'd mentioned cutting costs is back. Um, and one of the studies that you guys were doing was almost half of the residential architects that you guys have surveyed said they're designing smaller spaces, like the kitchens, the home offices, um, and just simplifying the overall footprint. Um, you guys had mentioned less corners. Um, is this falling in line with more production builders or where does this come into play? 
Um, that was very production oriented. So we, mm -hmm. we partner with Professional Builder Magazine on that architect mm -hmm. survey as, as part of our New Home Trends Institute um, subsidiary. And by the way, if anybody wants to be in any of our surveys, just email surveys at realestateconsulting.com and you can be mm -hmm. in it and you'll get, you'll get some of the content here. Um, but even prior to what we're talking about, you know, the architects are really on the leading edge of what's going to happen two or three years from now. <laughs> uh, it was an affordability solution. So how can I get the house smaller? Um, we're seeing the lot sizes shrink a bit too, trying to get more homes on the acre. That, that drives a lot of these tight spaces, if you will. If you really think about the older homes, you know, an office had to be large because I needed a big desk and yada, yada. And now I just need to sit at my kitchen table with a laptop. Um, there, there's, you can have a lot of functionality and less space now. And that, that's what they're focused on doing in new homes. Uh, are you seeing this in your market too, or is this, I mean, you're primarily focused on larger custom or you're doing to, a model too as well. To, to an extent, it's, it's kind of a tougher market to talk about because we are in the custom industry. So we're seeing people splurging with money. I mean, the, they're, they're not pulling loans, so it's not so much a worry there. They're spending because they want to. So the space that they're improving is what they want and that they're going to pay. They're, they're not looking to cut costs and cut the building footprint down. In the smaller market, if you're doing tracks and things like that, I could definitely see cutting out certain things to cut costs. Mm -hmm. But in, in the custom market, they pay for what they want and you, you don't change their mind on that. I want to talk about build a rent, um, John. You kind of brought this up a little bit earlier, but it seems like there, there's been a lot of hype around it. Um, where do you see this market going over the next couple of years? Yeah, we've done more than 900 studies on build for rent. Oh, wow. <laughs> I know uh, there's not even 900 communities being built yet. There's only 650. So we're, I'm a huge believer in it, uh, but that doesn't mean there aren't going to be problems. So if, if you've done as much consumer research on it as we have, there, there's, there's about 12 to 15 million, if you include condo households who rent homes that are sitting there, you know, they're the deadbeat in the neighborhood because they're the renter for, with the next to a homeowner. They're living in afraid that their landlord is going to sell the house. There's, these build for rents are coming along and they, and they solve a lot of problems and plus they're brand new. And so it's, it's the latest and greatest. Of, it's a, apartment communities for people who want something less dense. And um, I, I think there's a huge opportunity. Now, so much money is rushed in. They've had to deploy it and they've gone to where they can find the land, which is in an outlying area. And I think there's some submarkets that are going to get overbuilt with built for rent communities. But you're talking maybe a couple dozen communities. It's not anything that's going to hurt the U.S. housing market. So I'm, I'm curious what you think rent is going to do over the next couple of years. Yeah. Uh, we've seen a, a pretty massive increase. And I, I know... Well, what is it that they're allowed to raise rent? It was CPI plus X amount per year, correct? Uh, plus five. That's a California thing. They can, okay. they can, go, to, they can go to the moon everywhere else. Oh, uh, really? Yeah. Um, well, not everywhere else. There's, there, there's actually a lot of discussion about rent control across the country right now. I think that, that discussion is going to die because a recession is going to kill rent increases. Um, okay. I think rents are more likely to continue to grow because if you really think about it, you know, raising mortgage rates creates more rental demand, not less. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. Inflation has been forcing employers to give great raises and so people can afford the rent hike. And then what I talked about earlier about working from home, 
people are just moving five miles further down or renting something frankly nicer than that they were mm -hmm. currently in. So recessions are not good for rent, but I, we don't have a bearish outlook on rent rents. We think rents will be fine. Okay. Yeah. Cause we've, we've noticed rent has gone up tremendously in California. And then I invest in a little city in Southern Oregon and man, I have seen prices up there skyrocket as well. You were looking yeah. at a two bedroom, one bath three years ago for 700 bucks a month. And now we're at close to 2000. It's, it's absurd. I'm curious though, with that too, will there be a, do you, do you think there'll be a pullback on, on rent prices similar to how there will be housing in that case? Like, are we going to see these rent prices drop in those areas? Well, only if you see a lot of empty homes uh, available for rent. I mean, that's going to, that would force rents down. And I, I think that could happen in some of these areas that have a lot of build to rent, because that'll be a massive increase in, in houses that need to be occupied. Yeah. But generally, I mean, even in the great financial crisis, I think there were only about 10 to 15 markets where rents fell and it was a couple percentage points. It wasn't very significant. Mm. What are you guys seeing in terms of consumer demand around like denser communities? Obviously, this was like very hot pre-COVID and then COVID hit. And I don't think everybody wanted to live on top of each other. What are your thoughts around that now? It seems like people are even I'm more accepting of it uh, now that, you know, things have kind of started to iron out a little bit. But what are you seeing kind of more on a national scale? Um, well, New York is getting packed again. So um, <laughs> I was just there two weeks ago and every yeah. completely buzzing. Uh, the like the office buildings are, are only half full, but all the <clears throat> yeah. apartments are, are occupied. Um, I mean, the, the 20 something still want to live in cool urban areas, regardless. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, San Francisco is a bit more of an issue because there's a little bit less to do. There's some issues there that you you know about that make it kind of a tough place to live and the employers aren't hiring right now um mm -hmm. but i mean it'll come back you you guys look into commercial stuff as well you were saying what what is it going to do with this whole remote jobs everybody's working from home um uh, like you mentioned all three of us are at home right now what's this going to do for all the commercials commercial spaces so I mean, one of the first things I did when COVID hit is I own our office building and the loan was due in three years. I went and refinanced it at 10 because <laughs> I didn't think the appraisal was going to come in. Um, mm -hmm. Actually, thus far, office values have gone up. Makes absolutely no sense to me. Um, I, I think there's going to be a lot of distress in, in the office market. It just It's always amazing how long this takes to play out. Mm -hmm. I mean, re retail you know, anchor tenants, the, the grocery store centers and things, there's some distress there too, but it's really, it's, it's not that bad. And I, but I do think values are eventually going to fall in both of those. And you'll see some of the capital focused on residential housing transition mm -hmm. over to office and retail. What are some, are, are there any big changes that you're suspecting, suspecting over the next few years in terms of the either build a rent or even the commercial space office space? Uh, well, I'm, I'm expecting there to be a lot of, uh, well, one thing we haven't talked about is all the debt that's going on in the world. I, I, I think there's going to be a lot of debt on those buildings that does not get repaid and needs to be renegotiated. Mm -hmm. And for us, that's a good thing because we help people with restructure that. Uh, but for banks, that's a really bad thing. And I, I, I think that's why the Fed, frankly, has been moving pretty slowly here because they've been announcing they're gonna raise rates and trying to find out, okay, what kind of disaster is gonna happen when I do this? Um, I, think, I think there's a lot of problems in the debt market that we're gonna be talking about over the next two or three years.
I'm, I'm kind of curious to ask here. Um, the feds have been talking a bit about quantitative tightening and possibly bringing this back down, pulling us out of a recession and not letting this all crumble like we all think it's going to happen. Do you think that there is a way or what would it look like for them to be able to pull this off and we not completely collapse? Yeah. Well, I'll agree with the former Fed chair, um, Janet Yellen, is they're going to need to get lucky. I mean, there, there, there's nothing they can do that I can see on energy prices. There's nothing that they can do related to food because a lot of the problems are, are overseas, <laughs> um, chips and, and other things like that. But uh, if there were, we talked about like a manufacturing recession that was pretty significant and all of a sudden, caught, and you, we were just talking about lumberyards having to discount. If everybody starts discounting, inflation goes away and we get through this pretty quickly. And so uh, they'll look like champions, but there will have been some luck. So I, obviously there, there's a lot of moving parts right now. Um, the dollar index is something that I've been watching fairly close and we're, we're hitting all time highs from what I believe is two decades now, like early 2000s, if I, if I remember correctly. Can, can you explain a bit more about that? You, you would know it much better than I would what that means uh, for our economy and how that works? Yeah, that that's not my niche either. So okay. um, I, I read a lot about it, but I don't know any more than most Okay, people. no worries. Let's talk about everybody's favorite materials and supply chain. Everybody's oh, feeling it. I was just messaging yeah. with a, a business owner yesterday and they're like, I wish we could just go back to the COVID times when I could just like yeah. keep my head down and have everybody banging on my door. Um, now, everybody's feeling the materials and supply chain. And, you know, I, I want to get your kind of like thoughts on how the supply chain is really like impacting consumer trends because the, the builder that I was talking with the other day, I mean, they're having to shift products just so they can get stuff into the home quicker. Um, and I, I think I was reading through your LinkedIn. There's some categories with the supply chain issues. You had mentioned stuff that's improving stuff that's stabilizing and low supply. Um, can you talk to us a little bit more about like what you're seeing in the market where we're improving, stabilizing, maybe even having the most probably lead time? I mean, the one that's most confusing to me right now is appliances because some people are saying they're taking forever and other, other people are saying I can get them right away. So that- um, I've heard that but, as well. <laughs> uh, I mean, lumber's gotten better. Uh, windows and doors have been miserable this entire mm -hmm. time. We've got a couple employees who used to work at window and door companies, and they they can't even quite figure it all out. The common denominator in all this has been lack of truck drivers, mm -hmm. and I'm starting to, in fact, I'm starting to hear that the orders to keep truck drivers busy are starting to slow dramatically. In fact, there's a guy, uh, what's his name, Craig Fuller, I follow, who's one of the leading uh, analysts on trucks, and he he's talking about a freight recession. So really? I, I, yeah, yeah. I'd recently read through about that too. Yeah. So, I mean, if that comes to, that's been the problem. We just can't get truck drivers, but if yeah. we can get truck driver and apparently they've been hiring just a ton of truck drivers. Mm -hmm. So um, maybe that's how we get through it. Chris Beard are our experts. So you give me a call, yeah. I'll hook you up with Matt Saunders and Chris Beard and they'll figure this out for you. Yeah, I'd love to figure that because we've had this wave of e-commerce. And so that provided a boom for all these trucking. And then, okay, I mean, well, Amazon announced they've stopped growing and they'll be talking about e-commerce yeah. and now, now they're subleasing some of their warehouse space. Yeah. Oh, wow. So, I mean, how's that for a change in the market? <laughs> yeah. That, that's not a very positive that's, outlook there. Mm -mm. Well, for the economy, no, but for truck drivers, <laughs> if we need them, yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We have had 
one heck of a time in the building industry here getting anything. If it if it's not raw lumber, I mean raw lumber for a while, I, I couldn't find a sheet of OSB to save my life. And a lot of what I was being told was that they can't get it here. And that when it does get here, the big fish eat it up. They've got big supply, but the smaller lumber yards, like I was talking about, they they can't get much. So they're grabbing onto anything they can. And that's kind of forcing them to pay ridiculous high prices as well. But windows right now, I mean, we're we're nearly three years into this. And windows, I still cannot get without eight, 16, 24 weeks. And there's absolutely no sign of that slowing down whatsoever. Right. Now, there's only a couple of glass manufacturers in the country and the hurricane wiped out some of the resin issues. And, uh, but, you know, we, we work, we've got a lot of building products clients. Mm-hmm. And if we were more bullish, maybe we'd be solving your problem because they're asking us, well, if, if John, are we really that undersupplied? And can I count on a million eight or a million nine housing units every year? Because if I can, I'll build a new plant and I'll add some capacity. And I'm like, no, you can't. Our our demographic growth is not what it used to be. And we're having a boom right now. And we could do a million nine right now if we wanted to, but it's not sustainable. Mm -hmm. So all those companies aren't investing in a huge increase in capacity. And that's causing the problem. That makes sense. So we have so much building going on right now that they are as far behind as they can get. And instead of ramping up production, they're keeping it where they should be because they know that this isn't going to last. Yeah, and they're just taking it in price. That yep. is the best take I've ever heard on that. You just clarified everything for me. Okay. <laughs> that, that, that makes a lot of sense. That really does. What should we expect for material and supply chain over the next couple of years? Obviously, we just kind of touched on that, but are there any assumptions that you're making? Yeah, I should have you talk to our guys. I mean, we, we start would to go be down awesome. this rabbit hole. I just, I, I'll be asking them the same question you're asking me. Okay, no worries. We've talked about impacts on on projects and products. Um, what are some of the top ways that you're seeing builders and remodelers adapt to the current market conditions? Yeah, I mean, this is such an old, it's just cash is king. So, mm-hmm. so people are focused on paying down their debt, um, storing some cash, even though the cash is going down in value, thanks to inflation, nobody knows how long this recession is going to be. So that that's how they're playing it. And, um, the, you know, the home builders know that the first guy to drop price sells the house. So they're going to be the first guy to drop the price. And if you're in a market where they're in a sub market, where there's a lot of new home construction, I think that's where you're going to see prices fall the most. You know, and, I, and people I like, yell at them for doing that, but I like, that's the smart business decision. You have to, you have to look out for yourself in that sense. That, that makes sense. Um, we had the, the contractor on here that we had not too long ago that went through 2008, went through 2020. That was one thing he really was adamant about was regardless of the project, whether it was something that he primarily takes or not, as long as it brought in cash and it was positive, he would take it. And that was kind of what he was attesting to as well is that paying down that debt and keeping cash on hand allows him to float much better than somebody that's say writing on debt and doesn't have much cash flow. All right. So let me, let me turn this on you a little bit because you're on the remodeling question. So um, like every consumer knows that if you're going to go through a remodel, it's going to cost you a lot more than the quote and it's going to take a hell of a lot longer. Yeah. Uh, And that was (laughs) pre-COVID. Has anybody invested in the technology where they can actually be a reliable remodeler right now, where they can give good budgets and hit deadlines and do everything every other industry can do except remodeling? Because that would be a differentiator. I would really like to see something like that happen, but I feel like 
what most people do is they they bid as close as they can get but something is always missed and then on top of that something always pops up so these prices like you're saying it's very accurate these prices are never what they they really are they'll they'll bid it at 150,000 but by the time you're done it's 220 it's like where where was all of this added cost and i i really try to be as good as i can when it comes to bidding like that but even then there is still so much that pop there's so much unforeseen when it comes to remodeling that when you open up a wall or you open up this, you never know what you're going to find. So I, I get part of it, but at the right. same time, you're very accurate in the sense that these people are throwing numbers out there and then just tacking on top. Well, even if they were honest numbers, you know, it, it's going to take me four months unless I hit this, this, and this, and I'll tell you as soon as I do. Um, yeah. I, you know, if, if some brand comes along that is the reliable remodeler in town, they're going to kill it. Yeah. I, I agree. Matt, so, are you pu- are you pushing out your start dates later just so it's like closely aligns with products? Unfortunately, we, we just had, um, I broke ground on a master bathroom model. We're doing the kitchen next. This project I signed for, when was it? January of 2022. So seven months ago, this project has been pushed off until now. So quite some time. I waited for every single product to get in because it's a bathroom remodel. We need to get in. We need to be out in a month. And I cannot have a project open for seven months waiting on a bathtub. The vanity took four months to get here. The bath took three months. Like this is ridiculous. So I can't sit around and wait. I can't open the house up, tear everything apart and then wait. Like that kind of goes along with the whole hurry up and wait. Like we we can't do Mm -hmm. it. So we have multiple projects right now that are on hold until I can confirm everything is needed to be there. Because if not, we're wasting our own time. We're burning a hole in our own pocket. Mm-hmm. We're, we're giving our money away. And it just, it doesn't make sense. So absolutely. If we can get everything ordered ahead of time, that's the only way that we could stay on schedule. And so we need more reliable dealers to be on time too. 100%. And if you 100%. Pivoted, have you pivoted to those? It, it's hard to find anybody that will give me a decent timeline on when things will be here. I have had a couple people that have gotten quicker, but then it gets pushed back once again. So regardless, there is no stability in it. Wow. It, it makes it very tough. And then on top of that, these homeowners want to see these projects move forward. They don't want to see them move backwards. Seven months mm-hmm. for a bathroom, they're, they're kind of bummed out. I want to touch on something that I feel like we have a lot of business owners listening right now. And you, you've taught me a lot just talking to you today. Um, appreciate it greatly. Business owners want to know, and myself included, what are the most important key metrics or trends we can watch in construction or that we should pay closer attention to in order to navigate the next 24 months? Is there anything that like we, we should really keep an eye on? Yeah, there, there's two things and they're both readily available in every market. So so what, one would be the months of supply on the resale market. Um, and I, I would look at it as a percentage kind of year over year or maybe the months of supply. That, that tells you whether prices are going to go up or down. Um, okay. And, and th- that'll move really quickly. It can change in a week. The other one is job growth data, which is free and comes from the Bureau of Labor Statistics. And you always need to compare total jobs this month versus the same month a year ago because the job market is cyclical during the course Mm -hmm. of the season. 
that means there's more or less adults with an income in your market. Uh, and okay. Then, so, and so I would compare that number to the total construction. So if there's 20,000 more jobs, 10,000 more building permits that are pulled, that's more demand than supply, we're good. If mm -hmm. it's the inverse, it's not so good. Okay. We'll, we'll have a link in the description of this podcast. You guys can check these out and keep an eye on them for future reference. That is awesome. John, I have uh, one last question before we uh, we go, but I, I'm curious to get your thoughts on it. Um, many people have thoughts on the macro trends of construction right now. Um, I saw a, a headline from Business Insider. I think you guys were featured in it. The headline reads, the housing market's next big crisis, too many homes. Um, it definitely grabs your attention uh, when demand currently outpaces supply, but I'm curious what your thoughts are. Are we underbuilding or are we overbuilding? And what are your like short-term and long-term yeah. thoughts? We've, we've done so much work on that. We, um, in fact, we just did a 20 minutes of our webinar devoted to that. I mean, there's so many different ways to look at that. We think from a shelter standpoint, we need about 1.7 million more homes. So that's our number. We're undersupplied, mm -hmm. but that's at normal prices and normal rents. And we don't have normal prices and normal rents. So I think if you put those all on the market right now, they wouldn't get occupied at today's prices and rents. Things would fall. So um, people are relying on that 1.7 or some people have three to 5 million numbers. It's like, oh, everything's going to be fine. Um, you know, not at any price and at any rent. So, um, and I'll end a little bit of a positive note. That is a bit of a saving grace though. The fact that we do have an undersupply of housing. Mm -hmm. um, whereas in 2006, we did not. So, you know, no matter what happens to the economy here, at least we're not overbuilding totally. We just, we, we just happen to have this little niche thing going on where we've got a lot of homes under construction that aren't sold that'll create a problem six to nine months from now. I want to ask one last thing. What, what's the biggest question that you're trying to work through right now with housing? It's, it's really what's going to happen to the economy. It's really, it's really job growth. And that is impacted by inflation. So that, that we're studying every sector of the economy right now. You know, and, and so there, there's some leading indicators out there that the companies are starting to struggle a little bit. So we'll see how that plays out. And then what, what do you think about the recent tech layoffs and stuff? We've seen um, Amazon say it. We've seen Tesla say it. Do you think this is any sort of indicator as well that things might be turning down? I mean, that was inevitable in that sector anyway. I mean, any, any sector that's like hiring 50% more people every single year, you know, how many mistakes did you make doing that? So to lay off 10% mm -hmm. is really not that big of a deal. So I, I know it's getting a lot of attention in that mm -hmm. sector. It's a lot of the clickbait head title, the, the, the clickbait titles that get me is like the Tesla's laying off X amount. And it's like, oh, this sounds scary. But that, yeah, outlook, well they, that makes you know, sense. They, they, they just hired 100,000 people and they're going to lay off 20,000 of them. I mean, that doesn't really kill things. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, it's the underlying heart of the economy, the manufacturing jobs, those sorts of things that they will move the needle. So I'm looking at the monthly supply of new houses. And we are at, what is it right now? 7.7. .7. We're down from April, um, from what I can see here. 2009, was it peaked at 12.2. So that's about twice as much as we have now. So like you're saying, we have an undersupply. So that could be something that positively impacts us. Is that months of supply you're, talking, you're looking yes. at? Yes. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, 12 was crazy, right? So 12 months of supply. That that's that's the supply of unsold homes under construction. And oh, wow. and that and and that's but you know, that's seven months of supply. It's gonna take five months to finish them. Yeah. <laughs> so it's it, it's not really completely out of control. Um, that's that's good to know. But but those are gonna be the homes that are gonna need to get sold by somebody six months from now. That makes sense. John, before we let you off the hook, do you have one piece of advice for builders or remodelers listening to the podcast right now? Oh, they know all this stuff, man. <laughs> Cash is king. I mean, that's that. You just got to keep reminding everybody, everybody in your company that that's the case. Um, and you know what? The down downturns are opportunities too. So the the best companies get through them and emerge stronger. And that's that's the message to our team. We're going to get through this and we're going to get stronger. We, we did in 08, we did in uh, 2020, and we're going to do it again. There we go. That's the tune that we're hearing, especially from the last two gentlemen that joined us on the podcast, both uh, of which talked about mentors, recession, um, and everything. Yeah. Take advantage of the opportunity. Great businesses will stick around. And then uh, as the labor pool starts to shuffle around, treat it as an opportunity. Yeah, it's a great, it's going to be a great hiring opportunity. Yeah, sure. I'm excited because even in like the tech sector, everything has been absolutely insane. I mean, the bonuses right. that people were getting in the tech sector, how do you even compete as a, as a early stage startup? I mean, it's very you difficult. Can't. And so now um, is a right opportunity for amazing talent to come back into the market and to nab them up. John, thanks very much for uh, joining on the Bread to Build podcast. Before we let you off the hook, where can people find and connect with you and learn a little bit more about John Burns Real Estate Consulting? Well, just Google John Burns Real Estate Consulting. We've got a lot of free information on our website. Uh, we post a lot on social media, on Twitter and LinkedIn. We've got a lot of followers there too. So we, we give a lot of good content away for free. It's good marketing for us. Awesome. Well, guys, thanks for listening to another episode of the Bread to Build podcast. Over the last couple of episodes, we dug into winning in a recession with Jamie Verdura, finding mentors and coaches with BJ Mater. Um, and now just digging into the macro trends across the U.S. And so if you haven't already listened to the last two episodes, highly recommend listening. Um, and with that being said, be on the lookout for a blog post coming soon. We're going to consolidate the last two episodes, including this one, into a guide um, so you can become a more bulletproof business during these market conditions. If you like this episode, give us a shout out on social media, share it with a friend who might enjoy it. As always, you can find and connect with me on all platforms at Brett Gowen and also at Hammer and Builders Vista on Instagram. Matt, take it away. Thank you guys for listening to another episode. This has been insanely informative. The market is crazy right now. Best of luck to everyone out there. You can find me on every social platform at Matt Bangswood. We'll see you guys next time on the Bread to Build podcast. Tonight.